it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, fresh off Fox and Friends, where I learned to play pickleball for the first time. And it's going to take some getting used to. I'm used to a bigger racket. But uh, listen, it's the rage. I think it's the fast-growing sport in the country. And I might buy a franchise because LeBron brought a franchise and Tom Brady bought a franchise. Allison, because just go to the ownership meeting. Imagine going to the owner's meeting and just, like, complaining about, I don't know, ticket prices with Tom Brady and LeBron James. I think, I think it might be pretty cool. And Kim Kleisters of uh, tennis. Uh, I might buy that. It's only $35,000. So you could afford several teams. Right. I could afford a league. Uh, so we'll see. And you need 50000 in liquid. And I think the New York franchise is open. So I might buy a team. It'll be another way. I'll immediately give the broadcast rights to the Brian Kilmeade show. And every game is going to be played from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern time. That's part of my moves. So then you don't need to talk about the news anymore. Yeah, choose pickleball. I'm going to have to work this out. There's a few bugs in it. Uh, Steve Moore is going to be with us in a matter of moments. Carly Shimkus at the bottom of the arrow. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Did the White House ask you not to declare a state of emergency? Absolutely not. You know, one of the things I'm very thankful for the White House, the federal government, they've done a really, really good job of working with us and helping us to make sure border cities are required to do. Yeah, wrong. We already caught you two weeks ago saying that that's exactly what the White House did, and that is the mayor of El Paso, Democrat. It's only going to get worse as a Democratic mayor gets caught lying, contending he was not pressured by Biden. Too bad we got you on tape being pressured by the Biden administration. Meanwhile, Governor Ducey was told to take down his makeshift wall, and illegals get set to move into luxury tent cities in New York City, which means we're going to get millions more. Good job, guys. Number two. Having children, it's why you're concerned about how much food costs. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. Exactly. The only reason we're hungry is because we have children. If we don't have children, there'll be no one crying in the background. Stacey Abrams, her twisted pro-abortion thought process. 20 days and counting, and the president heads to Pennsylvania and try to flip the seat there and save his Senate as Fetterman's donor... Donor doctor writes him a note saying he's a okay. No one believes it. As doctor turned candidate Mehmet Oz surges. We look at the other key races. Number one. Right now, the strategic strategic petroleum <laughs> reserve is more than half full, with about 400 million barrels of oil. That's more than enough for any emergency drawdown or a picnic. Or whatever that means. Here we go again. President Biden looks at the problem and finds a point of focus for blame. And again, it's oil and gas companies. And stunningly, taps our emergency reserves to flood the world market to keep prices at the current levels. Uh, we're going to look at the facts and the pushback. So let's look at gas right now. Nationwide is $3.85, 60% more than it was when he took over. 
and now he wants to get us down to 1951 levels on the strategic oil reserve. And don't tell me it's not politics. Stephen Moore uh, knows all about dollars <laughs> and cents. He tells me he's got a degree worth a lot, uh, a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and an economist with Freedom Works. And also a columnist, and you have your own talk show now on 77 WABC. I do. The More Money Show on Saturday afternoons at 1 p.m. Good to be with you, Brian. So when the president struggled through his announcement about how to handle oil and gas prices, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, it is just a blatant lie when Biden says over and over and over again, Brian, that he's, quote, doing everything he can to bring down gas prices. That's just absolutely not true. I could go through a litany of about 15 separate measures that this president has taken to stick a knife into the back of the oil and gas industry. And by the way, he's basically told the American people, I want to kill the oil and gas industry, and he's doing a good job of it. So the reason we're paying – remember when Trump left office, $2.59 a gallon. Now we're paying in most states well over $4 a gallon. I have a friend who – just uh, texted me yesterday, California, almost $7 a gallon, Brian. Seven oh, he bucks. says, well, that's always that way. No, no. <laughs> I mean, we've seen that. Now, look, here's the other thing. How would if, any politician get reelected at $7 <laughs> a gallon gas? Exactly. In, in New York, it's 380 On average, the nationwide, they say it's 385 Yeah. Uh, okay, so they're paying at least $2.50 more. And the, the irony, by the way, is that the Democrats are now looking at Gavin Newsom, who's the California governor, as their savior for their party in 2024 uh, when he's basically destroyed their energy market. Look, it comes down to this, Brian. If we had simply – as you know, I was an economic advisor to Trump, and one of the things that I worked with them on was energy policy. And Trump's policy was all in on American energy, as you know. And we, by the time he left office, were, were, were the number one producer of oil and gas in the world, in the world. And now today, if we just stuck with Trump's policies, we'd be producing about 3 million more barrels a day. Brian, that's six It was ramping up. Oh, no question. And that's five to six times more. We wouldn't have had to take one spoonful of energy out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which, as you know, Brian, is now at its lowest level since late 1983. So right now we have to, we've already extracted 2.5 billion barrels right. of oil. Uh, last year we got 4.1, 2021 and 2024.1, and 2019 it was 4.5. Oh, by the way, can I just mention one other thing? Donald Trump refilled. Remember, he was criticized for putting oil in it reserve. Remember but that? But he did th- refill it. Oh yeah, he put oh, he yeah. put money uh, he put oil into the reserve, and uh, and all the oh you're just doing this as a sop to the energy companies. Um, look, the solution to our problem is not to deplete our emergency reserve, as as uh, you know, I call it the strategic political reserve now, not the strategic petroleum reserve, because we all know Biden is doing this in the short term to try to hold down gas prices temporarily until the beginning of November when the elections are. This is pure politics. It goes into, the, it goes into the world. Uh, market, right? It doesn't go into New York. We're not selling it to Pennsylvania. It goes to China. Right. Some of it goes to China. So you got to go bid on it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I always said, where's the oil and gas companies pushing back? If they were vilifying me unjustly, I'd be saying something. They say, why are you raking in so much record profits? So Mike Summers, the American Petroleum Institute, said this. Increasing energy demand and constrained supply coupled with geopolitical instability and faulty policy decisions have driven fuel prices higher. At a time when American energy can be stabilizing force at home and abroad, we urge caution in continuing to rely on short-term efforts that are no substitute for sound long-term policies and enable American energy leadership. 
Uh, the administration should instead focus on addressing the fundamental economic and security challenges we face by spurring more investment in American energy infrastructure and markets that enable U.S. consumers to benefit. Right now, they're told you do not. They're being These major banks are told, major funds, do not invest in fossil fuels. Yeah, that's one of the big issues. Another one being that Biden has uh, not allowed the permitting you need for drilling on public lands. Thank God we have private land. Most of the drilling that's done in this country by the way, I think your audience knows this, is done on private lands. But Biden's way even below where Obama was, Brian, in terms of allowing drilling on our federal lands. He is also, um, as you know, you talk at all, about this all the time, His, you know what his first act as president was. Stop the Keto yeah. pipeline. We need the infrastructure. How can we have our oil and gas and get it to the gas pumps if we don't have refineries, if we don't have LNG terminals, if we don't have the pipelines? So Biden is trying to kill the oil and gas industry. Don't believe him when he says, I'm doing everything I can to reduce gas prices. That's what Trump did, not Biden. Well, here's here's him actually saying it. That's why I have been doing everything in my power to reduce gas prices since Putin's invasion of Ukraine caused these these prices to spike and rattle international oil markets. I focused on how we can protect American families from that spike and give folks just a little bit of breathing room, as my dad would say. Yeah. Do they actually put that in the prompter, as my dad would say? Uh, is, he says that every single time uh, and give people just a little bit of breathing room. He's got more than a little breathing room. He's got a bunch of mansions. Uh, so there was to, another lie, by the way, in that statement. Which was? Was, was when he said, oh, uh, that uh, since since he's doing everything he can, since uh, the invasion. Well, what he's leaving out is that before the invasion, he declared the war on American oil and gas. He said in that famous debate with Trump, uh, Trump confronted him on this and he said, yes, I want to, quote, close down the American oil and gas industry. Would you want to invest, Brian, in an industry that the president wants to close down? So, no, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so FBN's um – uh, FBN's reporter that they had there asked Corinne Jean-Pierre about what is going on by vilifying and claiming that the gouging is taking place from oil and gas, which is criminal. Mm-hmm. Cut 10. So the FTC has so far has found no signs of wrongdoing or price gouging within oil companies. So I'm wondering why the president still continues that narrative. Because we're seeing it from the chart. And oil companies were able to do it before, as I just stated to Peter. Uh, we're seeing a, a, a 60 cent gap uh, between where uh, uh, where their profit are and what what uh, people are paying at the pump. And so they can bring it down. So did they understand about transportation? Did it just <laughs> go to the barrel into your Chevy Honda, into your Honda Civic? Do they, they even understand? They haven't made the effort to understand the industry. No, they don't. They don't. They hate the industry. But we, we tried a windfall profits tax back in the 1970s. This is Biden's new thing. We're going to have a windfall profits tax on these energy companies. It was a catastrophe. If you tax an industry, it's not going to produce more. It's going to produce less. Folks, we had low gas prices, low prices for electric power under Trump, and that that curve went straight up as soon as Biden came in with the – look, the left is completely obsessed with climate change. And they're doing this in a way that's basically saying, OK, we can get oil and gas from Venezuela. We can get it from Iran. We can get it from Russia. But we can't get it from Texas and North Dakota. I mean, does that make any sense to you? Well, how does this make any sense? <laughs> is this the time to have Democrats, including the president, stand up and punish Saudi Arabia? You can't punish Saudi Arabia and Iran at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They are rivals. You have to be smart, play real politics in that area. So they, you don't like the fact that they pull back two uh, million dollars a day of production yeah. from OPEC Plus. Right. But you've made it worse by sensationalizing, saying we're going to keep air defenses back from what? To allow Iran to connect this time and not block the Houthi rebels to destroy part of that country? Does he want to alienate the entire Middle East? <laughs> Look, we didn't have to worry about what OPEC was doing when Trump they was president. They worried about us. Yeah, exactly. They were telling us Thank to stop you. fracking. We were the number one oil and gas producer in the world. And you're right. It, it, was the, it was the shale oil and gas revolution in the United States that enabled the United States to basically um, kill the, uh, the uh, cartel. And now we have to go hand in hat and lay prostrate in front of them and beg them to increase their production. I'm angry about this because it's not just an economic issue. It's not just a pain in the pump. It is a national security issue, Brian. Where do you think this oil and gas money is going? It's going to Venezuela, Iran. China's building 35 new massive coal plants. Russia, we are putting money into the hands of our enemies, folks. This is dangerous. And by not being the natural gas supplier to Western Europe, they're exactly. burning wood. Uh, yeah. They're burning wood and coal this summer and maybe burning part of their uh, the new wing on their house because things are going to get – there's riots in France about the increase in gas and utility prices. They even told people in Germany, the German citizens, the German government told the German citizens, stock up on candles because the lights might go out this winter. I mean, Steve, what are we doing? Returning to the Stone Ages here? And voluntarily. We have not coming to the aid of our allies. Yeah. They've come over here and asked already. He says, right. keep fracking. But if John Fetterman gets in power in, in Pennsylvania, <laughs> we'll stop altogether. Uh, listen, uh, Steve Moore, stick around for a couple more sure. minutes, okay? Bottom of the air, Carly Shimkus comes in and tries to make sense of everything. And we hope she does. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think you have to expect that there's more volatility on the horizon. Now, that doesn't mean for sure that we have a really difficult economic scenario. But in the distribution of outcomes, there's a good chance we could have a recession. You can't talk about the economy without talking about the stuff in the future. And this is serious stuff. These are very, very serious things, which I think are likely to push the U.S. uh, and the world. I mean, Europe is already in a recession. And they're likely to put U.S. in some kind of recession six, nine months from now. We will have a recession. I think it will be a, a relatively mild recession. Sort of, uh, I'm just guessing here. This is total uh, speculation. Um, but I would guess it's a, it's a, you know, mild recession for, I don't know, 18 months or something like that. That's a pretty good montage. Elon Musk, Jamie Dimon, and David Solomon of Goldman Sachs. 
talking about what they think the, where the economy is going. <laughs> With me right now, Stephen Moore, an esteemed economist in his own right. Stephen, your reaction to what they said? We're in a recession right now. What are they talking about? I mean, was, this is what I call a cost of living recession. So when you have, Brian, the average family is losing $4,000 a year in purchasing power. You know, the average family has maybe 75000 of income. That's a huge cut in their income. And then we just came out with this study. You probably you reported on this on Fox and Friends the other day that, about what's happened with, did you see, about the 401k plans? that they've lost $34,000 on average. So, oh, yeah, we use it. So, yeah, yeah, so people are losing their savings and they're losing their incomes. I'm extremely nervous about where the economy is right now. I think it's incredibly fragile. I think Biden has has driven us into a ditch, and I don't have any confidence, do you, Brian, that any of these people at the White House, not Pete Buttigieg, not the Energy Secretary. Brian Deese. None of these people have any – no business experience. You did experience. a study on this. How yeah. much experience do they the have? The average – Biden appointee dealing with the economy and commerce and transportation and energy has zero, zero. And by the energy, I mean business experience. And I'm not saying working, I mean running a business. They've never even run a business. These people couldn't run a – you wouldn't hire them to run a lemonade stand. So with the difference between now and 2008, there's a million of it. I mean, we watched the banks call, almost collapse and be uh, tarp and everything like that. But we didn't have inflation. Yeah. A dollar was a dollar. We knew what our money yeah. was worth. Now it's worth less. I think that's a unique challenge the people on the outside. But uh, let me ask you, when people come back and say, well, everybody's in a recession. Everyone's got inflation. No, everyone's got Every inflation. Yeah. Now, but it's not true uh, in that inflation is very low in Japan. It's very low in right. China. It is uh, very, it's lower in Mexico. It's lower in Canada. It's place it's above is the U.K. And they just rotated out their prime minister. Liz Trust has just resigned. Yeah. Look, it's very simple. When Trump left office, we had a one and a half percent inflation rate. 20 months later, we have an 8.5% So how do you get rate. it down? How do we what? Get how it would down? You, if I said Steve Moore, you yeah. have the keys. Okay, so this is a really important question. We have to take a chainsaw to the federal budget. Federal spending and debt are what I call the new virus. And it's not just the United States. Yeah, all these countries have inflation. You know why? The, all of the industrialized countries since COVID hit have spent and borrowed and printed Ready for this? $22 trillion. We've never seen anything like this in the history of the world. These governments are bankrupting their countries. It's happening here in the United States. It's happening in Britain. It's happening in Germany. It's happening in the European countries. We have got to get government spending down. And if that doesn't happen, I don't care how much the Fed raises interest rates. We're not going to see a cessation of this uh, record high inflation. And by the way, I'm a little older than you, Brian. I lived through the 70s. And I saw what happened in 1976. It led Jer- every newscast inflation. Yeah. Jerry Ford lost the uh, you know, presidency to Jimmy Carter. Why? Inflation. Jimmy Carter lost to Reagan. Why? Inflation were the major reasons. Ronald Reagan won a 45-state landslide against an incumbent Repub- uh, president because people hate inflation. It's it's a killer. It just kills people's incomes. But it makes them the, angry. I'm pe- angry. But you have people talking about abortion. No, uh, and, <laughs> right. and if you want to make it easy on inflation, don't uh, have an abortion. That's what Stacey Abrams' theme is. Put that on a poster. Amazing. Uh, and Stephen Moore, always educational to talk to you and insightful, but you did scare the hell out of me. You know, people need to be afraid. Okay. I mean, when you go to the polls, you should be very afraid, ladies and gentlemen, about the direction of this country. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
I would assume, maybe incorrectly, but while abortion is an issue, it nowhere reaches the level of interest of voters in terms of the cost of gas, food, bread, milk, things like that. What can a governor, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with? But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. And so these are it's important for us to have both and conversations. We don't have the luxury of reducing it or separating them out. So that is Stacey Abrams, who I've never, ever heard this rationale and this attempt to link abortion and inflation. And if you want to solve abortion, make sure you, if you want to solve inflation, make sure you abort your baby. That's why vote for Stacey Abrams. How would that look on Oaktag as we welcome in uh, a very pregnant Carly Shimkus, (laughs) co-host of Fox and Friends First, and one of the news anchors of Fox and Friends? How Um, how does that, I mean, did you ever, when you heard that sound bite, first I read it. Well, do you remember Janet Yellen almost said the same thing? Remember how she, not almost, she said she was the first person to link abortion to the economy, and it was disgusting back then when she said it a few months ago, and it's, it's disgusting right so now. So if we force poor people to have their, to have their babies, they're going to be poorer. Right. So uh, what, what this argument essentially is, it's an argument of economic convenience. So if you uh, are struggling financially, abort your baby um, because it, you know, a child's life could make your life harder. So if people are getting abortions because of the economy, maybe fix the economy rather than promote abortions. Maybe start there. Um, Tim Scott wrote a whole op-ed about this after Janet Yellen made the same argument, and she was hammered for it. And he he was linking it back to it being a racist statement because uh, more black babies are talking about exactly yeah and when she said it she was talking about low-income in black communities and then tim scott said this is absolutely uh, he was talking about his mother and how much um she went through as i believe a single mom but i he grew up in a low-income community they got divorced yeah and uh, we've done segments before brian where um uh adults who's Mothers tried to abort them and unsuccessfully did so, came on, and they've talked to Ainsley, yeah. they've talked to Rachel, they've talked to me too. Those segments are so powerful. Um, and not one of them has said, hey, you know what, I wish that my mother was successful in that. So then, I wish Bri- I wasn't born. Yeah, so then Brian Kemp was on. Did you do the interview when Brian Kemp was on? on yes. Fo- yeah, and uh, it was, oh, Rachel asked about abortion with him, and he said, you know what, We're at, we've done a lot with alternatives. We've done a lot to make uh, adoption easier. There are compassionate alternatives to go through if you don't feel like you can care for your child. But this thing that Stacey Abrams said, and said it's so, so far from safe, legal, and rare. Where, what happened to that? Uh, you, I mean, to me, there's so much to it. It used to be, don't bring up abortion. It's so controversial. Now with technology and the 3D sonograms, people are realizing it's, it's uh, they have a tough time rationalizing their 
viable yes. fetus as a human being because we're seeing these 3D images yeah. now younger and younger. So people are like, you know, you're going to go back and forth with that. Now we talk about it like looking forward. I, I had – we had the attorney general of New York say I'm, I'm so – every basically I'm so proud I had an abortion. Yeah, I, Really? I How know. did that happen? Proud. And, you know, okay, so really quickly and um, maybe you want to move on, um, but – uh, in New York right now, I'm 24 weeks pregnant. I could still I could still abort my baby, and um, I've seen the baby yawn. It's kicking me all the time. It has all of its organs. How many weeks are you? 24. You can abort your baby up to the 24th week. Um, I can't imagine anybody doing that. But the fact that that's even an option is astounding. Like when you. Are, are the mom, and I'm sure that there are so many mothers listening right now um, who know exactly what I'm talking about. When you get into, you know, your six month of pregnancy, um, you've gone on this journey with this baby already, and to think that that would be legal, and um, some people in the Democratic Party are even pushing abortion until the moment of birth, and then when you're, they're asked about it, they kind of skirt say, the lines oh, it never because happens. they yeah. say it's extreme. But overall, this issue of abortion, Democrats have put so much money in campaign ads right. to talk about how extreme Republicans are on it. And it really is dropping so like a stone. I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, when, it talk, yeah, when it comes to among likely voters, which uh, this is, a, uh, this is a, a new study that's just out from Siena. Uh, among likely voters, which party's candidate are you more likely to vote for in this year's election for Congress? Democrat, 45 percent. Republican, 49 percent. All right, pretty close. Among likely voters... Who, what do you think is the most important problem facing the country? Likely voters, yeah. 26% the economy, 18% inflation, 8% the state of democracy, 5% immigration, 5% abortion. Why would Joe Biden waltz out there on Tuesday and say this is my number one issue? So Corrine Jean-Pierre was asked by Peter Ducey, why? what do you think about Stacey Abrams' idea, fight inflation by getting an abortion? Cut 21. In Georgia... The president's endorsed candidate for governor, Stacey Abrams, is suggesting that one, may, one way to mitigate the effects of inflation is to get an abortion. Does President Biden agree? Uh, I did not see her comments on this, so I don't know the context of this. Again, I want to be careful because this is a political debate, uh, and it, it's related to a midterm, an election. Uh, so I, this is, I'm not going to comment on that. Among Democrats, what do you think is the most important problem facing the country? Uh, the abortion is fourth, uh, economy's first, second is inflation, both are tied 17%. The state of democracy is 11 and abortion. So among Democrats, nothing changes. I know. So that's the key. Nothing changes even among Democrats. What is he thinking? Yeah, and I think that Democrats really miscalculated about how much money they are spending, how much money and time they're spending on talking about abortion. I mean, the reason they're doing it is because they have nothing else. Uh, what are they going to do? Talk about this stellar economy? Crime. So what? I, this well, is literally their only issue. Well, Pete Buttigieg on Monday, uh, we played a cut from him from Face the Nation, where he said the problem for them they accomplished so much that it's all hard to mention <laughs> all no, the time. No, he didn't stop it. You oh, stop yeah. it right now. Yes, and I watched it, and I and I got the verbatim because they mail them out on Sunday nights. Yeah, and I got it. I, I watched it. I go, I cannot believe he just said that. <laughs> yeah. In fact, hey, did you, you want to hear that? Yes, Charlie? I would love to. And I do think we run the risk because there have been so many accomplishments, right? The CHIPS Act that's bringing manufacturing back to the United States, uh, the PACT Act getting veterans the benefits they deserve, of course, the infrastructure bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. On top of that American Rescue Plan, uh, you know, in some ways, having achieved so much legislatively makes it uh, hard to talk about it all at once because there are just so many accomplishments. 
So right. much winning. That's right. another way to just too, too, too much <laughs> winning. We're winning too much. Right. Wow. Uh, did you see that? Um, I think it was the Washington Post. They had an article about how um, the most popular, the person with his down, dance card the most full, getting the most requests to campaign for candidates running in the midterms is Pete Buttigieg. Over Kamala Harris, I th- I think it, it made a little caveat, said Biden's and Pete Buttigieg are somewhat neck and neck. But I don't know, man. I think that he's the next candidate, the next serious candidate. How embarrassing is it that President Biden is not asked to do any rallies? Yeah. President Obama is. Yeah, uh, He's going to be in Atlanta, Detroit, and Las Vegas. Uh, Mandela Barnes mm-hmm. asked him to help him out in Wisconsin. So it's not – I mean it's not that crazy because when you are making decisions, you could be the best president ever. But when you're making decisions, a lot of times a lot of those decisions uh, don't pay off right away. They're not glossy. Uh, but for Joe Biden, he just seems incompetent. When you watched him yesterday struggle through that strategic oil, did you watch that? Because yeah. I don't know how many hours you work in a day. But this was on <laughs> 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And yeah. I, he could not get a sentence out because yeah. he had no idea what he was reading. Now, Obama, for example, comes out. He could say the worst or best thing he delivers with He's got flair. Clinton's well, got think flair. About, about uh, on the um, campaign rally front. I mean, think about what Trump was doing in the midterm elections. He was holding these massive rallies oh, yeah. for candidates. Uh, Biden isn't doing any of that. He's holding small little events. He did one in Oregon. Amazingly, could be uh, uh, the Republican candidate could win Oregon, and she's up in the polls right now because of crime. She, she, he did some stuff in California, but Obama's really the one that's going to be holding all of these massive events because they're turning to somebody that could help them more politically. And they're not wrong about that. Right. So one thing that Obama said in on his podcast with his former staffers is that we got to stop talking about Donald Trump and mm-hmm. we have to stop talking about being politically correct, walking on eggshells, even though he was trying to hesitate. And He's like, it. stop being lame. People. Right. Do you know we have President Trump on tomorrow? Do you? Yes, he's coming on the radio tomorrow. No, it's tomorrow. Oh, you texted us Monday. Did I text you Monday? You did oh, text no, us Monday. Yeah, um, well, that's just a, you know. Let me see. My, yeah, it's a little different. Minor detail. Yeah, you know. A whole weekend in between. Carry the two. Let me see. Yeah. That's the bull in the wrong spot. Um, yeah, 9 o'clock. Let me see. This is also great stuff we could do off the air, too, yeah, if you want. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I just wanted to clarify. I believe Allison because yes. she's the keeper of the schedule. Well, he, I will say, though, um, some bookings, you know, Brian might do uh, directly. But the information that was relayed was for Monday. So uh, just wanna make, yeah, it's right. good to confirm it, right? Yes, just as yeah. we This one's ahead. bigger than a Monday morning detail, I would say, when the former president is going to be on the show. So this is a good thing that we're having this conversation. Yeah. Now. So he's going to come on. He says, I can only do 15 minutes, which is perfect. That per- uh, because perfect. we have breaks. We can't boil the breaks. Not like TV. Correct. So he's like, I can do 15 minutes and I get going. I said, okay. So he said, how's it 9 o'clock? He goes, what's your biggest hour? And I said, <laughs> well, Of course depends. he said that. And I said, well, do it early and we can pull it back for the rest of the show. How about that? It's pretty good booking. Pretty good booking. Yeah, I would give yourself a pat on the back. And you know what's amazing? Yesterday, he, had a, he was deposed about some accusation from 20 years ago. Are you serious? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And that's why I hesitated on calling and requesting because I said, well, he probably had a bad day. He had a great day. <laughs> He's like, yo, things are going good. You see my poll numbers? I'd still be number one. I feel like his life is so complicated with all the no lawsuits. No kidding. How does he keep it all straight? Yeah, I mean, but he's, I think he, he likes. He just operates on a different level. You right. Know? And he's got a big staff. Right. You know what? I've got to get a few lawsuits going and see what it's like. Maybe you get, either you have one or two Ooh, and let's it's Let's plan stressful. this out. Let's map this out. Okay, what do you want to be sued for? Um, 
for being to, too good? Have you had to choose? I want to be for being too good and be, by, by accomplishing too much. That reminds me of an I answer. That reminds me of an, uh, an interview answer. Like, what's your biggest flaw? Well, I, I care too much. That's, <laughs> biggest, that's, my, that's my biggest flaw. My biggest flaw is I'm good at too many things. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's my problem. When we come back, more for Carly Shimkus. We find out everything that's wrong with Carly. She tells us in just a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Our headlines. The Prime Minister fights for her job after a chaotic day in the Commons. It has been a night of astonishing scenes at Westminster with reports of jostling, manhandling, bullying and shouting outside the parliamentary lobbies in a supposed vote of confidence in the government. The Deputy Chief Whip was reported to have left the scene saying, I'm absolutely effing furious, I just don't effing care anymore, before he resigned along with the Chief Whip. But we've just been told they have now officially unresigned. The Home Secretary has, however, definitely gone. In short, it is total, absolute, abject chaos. Well, can you imagine having a government like this, this parliamentary system? I haven't quite figured out, Carly Shimkus, where you had a bad two weeks. They, she says, I want to come in and I want to, I want to reduce taxes on the rich. And she gets in there and she couldn't implement it. There was old blowback. She goes, I quit. She goes, I, I'm <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I fired my finance minister. That was last Friday. And then Pierce Morgan was here yesterday mm-hmm. and said, oh, he's, she's gone. She can't keep at her job. So she was the one who meet the last one to meet the queen. I know. Is the quickest prime minister to ever lose her, her job. So she, um, this is by far. Liz Truss is yes, out. Liz Truss out as uh, UK prime minister. She just resigned. Shortest uh, serving prime minister in British history by far. She started the job on September 6th. Uh, the previous holder for this record was George Canning. He lasted 119 days in the 19th century. Guess how many days trust served? 50. It's terrible. Yeah, but it is it is a very unique system. I haven't worked it out, obviously, myself either because I don't live in the country. But, you know, one of the things that I think is very interesting is they still pound on the table. They do uh, that like old they school they scream at each other. Yeah. There's going to be no ulcers in England, especially if you're in government, because you just get it all out. <laughs> you just get right? it all. It's very raucous, but um, it is. Uh, it must be a wild time to be in the news in the UK right now with this turnover. So who can be the next prime minister? What if they choose Boris Johnson again? Is that even an option? I don't know. You know, I, I'm watching because it's a good point you brought up because I'm trying to make sense of it. This happened minutes ago uh, before we started the radio show. And I'm seeing a lot of video of Boris Johnson because he's their biggest personality yeah. and also their biggest disappointment uh, for conservatives, too, because he came in and he just started being like a socialist. But the, well, but the issue does have to do with taxation, because like you said, Liz Truss wanted to cut taxes on, uh, I guess it would ultimately be a, a taxes on the we- on wealthy people. And then the finance minister kind of went behind her back and was like, no, we're not doing that. And then it was just this, this whole huge thing. Huge issue, and now uh, there's going to be a leadership contest to decide the uh, leader of the ruling conservative party. So it stays within the conservative party. They just pick another person. What a what a this is like a what a wild game. I know. Uh, what I would have wanted to do with England is I wanted to give them a free trade deal right away and help them with our unique relationship, further intertwine with them. But, yeah, and Trump was willing to do that. He was willing to do that. And this guy wants no part of it because it was President Obama who said, if you do Brexit, 
you go to the back of the queue, and you know what the England said? We're doing it anyway. Yeah. Well, it would really help me out in my wardrobe because there's a brand called Karen Millen. It's a British brand, and I can't get their clothes anymore because um, the taxes are too high. The the duties are too high. I tried to get a package once of dresses, and it, they the guy said it was going to be $119 to accept it. So I just made this whole thing about me. Yes, I did. You know what? I'm used to that with Allison. I am not with <laughs> Allison, who's produces. I made this geopolitical relationship about my wardrobe. Right. It is. It I is. love Karen Millen clothes, though. So if is know, it actually a woman com- or is it? Karen, well, I think a, a woman named Karen Millen started the company, but I don't know. I think it's a whole company now. It's okay. not just one woman. All right. Um, you brought the show's shoulder with grinding hope because <laughs> I, I know nothing about yeah. fashion uh, at all. <laughs> So sorry. Can you believe that they tried to charge me $119 to accept a package from the UK? Uh, what, what was the. I was about to throw tea into the, the harbor what, what, in protest. Uh, uh, what was the theory on that? I don't, uh, what do they say to you? I don't know. I, Wait, by the way, who sent you a package? Uh, it was the UPS guy. He, bu- he was buzzing my uh, apartment buzzer, and I was like, you could just leave it down there. He's like, no, you owe money. And I was like, what? And I just woke up from a nap. Did you pay it? Pay it? I did. You did. I did. You have to. I did. And you're I too nice. Yeah, well, it wasn't. I just really needed the clothes because I was going on a shoot for Fox and Friends and there was a jacket in there that I needed. Yeah, but don't you I have a wardrobe deal? I should have that. Yeah, don't you have a wardrobe deal? Yeah, but you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So what is your take on this homeless thing in New York City? In wow. case you do not know, they built these uh, luxury tents oh, I know. Uh, with 500 cots and it's got three meals a day. You have Xbox, you have a, a phone bank. I mean, where's this going? Carly, you realize you're going to come back next week, and there's going to be two more tents, two more tents, two more tents. The rest, the whole world is seeing these accommodations. There's a popcorn machine. There, there, there's a popcorn Tommy machine. Tommy, you I'm going to go there on weekends. I know, I know right? It would be. Uh, this, well, okay, so, so uh, last week, Mayor Eric Adams made this speech, and I was like, wow, I think that this whole thing with Governor Abbott shipping migrants to New York is actually working because he said that he declared a state of emergency and he called on the Biden administration to shut the borders down. He said it in a lot of words to try and mask what he was saying. But now he builds this thing in Randall's Island. It's an open call for so many more people to come. And by the way, mostly men will be there. So those are the men that should have been turned around unless they were uh, refugees, which they just want a better country. That's sexist, to be honest. Right. Representation for the ladies. I'm outraged, and I'm a man. How dare he? From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Big day. The President of the United States is going to be doing some campaigning with John Fetterman. Good luck with that. Not many people want the president in battleground states to show up, but he'll be in Pennsylvania today over in Pittsburgh. Uh, I always love when Dan uh, Dan Billack joins us. He's a member of the Territorial Defense Forces and an advisor, financial advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine. He's going to tell us what's happening on the ground and what it means as the Russians now have a new tactic, and that is destroying the energy infrastructure of the country. We'll discuss that uh, and, of course, take your calls. Keep in mind, we've got the podcast, BrianKillMeatShow.com. If you ever miss it, can't listen live, FoxNewsPodcast.com, also a great way to get it. And uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. 
Did the White House ask you not to declare a state of emergency? Absolutely not. You know, one of the things I'm very thankful for the White House, the federal government, they've done a really, really good job of working with us and helping us to make sure border cities are required to do. Yeah, the problem is three weeks ago you admitted it and others heard you say it. That is the mayor of El Paso, a Democrat, finds himself in political hot water. It's only going to get worse as we watch this mayor flip-flop, sending illegals to New York and D.C. Meanwhile, Governor Ducey will, will, uh, was told to take down his makeshift border wall and let illegals get, some, get to move in. Really? A tent city in New York City set up for illegal immigrants to the terms of 20,000. Expect 50,000 if this continues. Number two, having children, it's why you're concerned about how much food costs. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. Uh, that is Stacey Abrams, who is imploding because of statements like that. 20 days and counting, and the president heads to Pennsylvania to try and flip that seat and save his Senate. As Fetterman's donor doctor writes him a note saying that he's A-OK. Really? As doctor-turned-candidate Mehmet Oz surges, look at other key races, issues, and game plans. Number one. Right now, the Strategic Petroleum, Re- strategic petroleum Reserve is more than half full with about 400 million barrels of oil. That's more than enough for any emergency drawdown. Really? Uh, don't believe it. Here we go again. President Biden looks, his, looks at a problem and finds a point of focus for blame. It's oil companies, it's gas companies, and stunningly, taps our emergency reserves to flood world markets to keep prices at current levels, which are way too high. We look at the facts and the pushback. Uh, right now, gas across the country went down for the last couple of days. It's still 60% up when he took office at $3.85. If you're out on the West Coast, you haven't seen three eighty five in like a year. It's over around $7, and the president's tapping into an emergency fund to do it. Can you imagine all of a sudden you want to go out to eat, and you say, let me just go into my 401k. That's what the president's doing. Mark Thiessen's with us, former chief speechwriter for, uh, for Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Mark, that's press conference yesterday that the president obviously was totally unfamiliar with by the way he delivered it. Quickly to blame everybody, it's not political to tap strategic oil reserve. Do you buy it? I, I don't buy it. But first, may, may I compliment your mad pickleball skills? that I just saw on, on, <laughs> on national television. Listen, <laughs> I never even off, saw a pickleball. pickleball player now, so, I, uh, did, so, I, uh, I did whiff a couple of times. You, you did, but it's okay. But it, there, there was, that was very brave of you to go out on national television and show, and show us your stuff. So. Well, I've been told <laughs> okay. by, I told I look really good and looking really bad. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a pattern for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, I think. So, Mark, what do you think about the president yesterday afternoon stumbling his way through, a, torturing his way through that copy? You must, as a speechwriter, yeah. you might want to shoot yourself uh, and come uh, out and say something so significant. Well, first, first of all, he says, you know, that, uh, that well, this is, this is nothing new. I've been doing this for a while. The, the administration announced a few weeks ago that they weren't tapping into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve anymore. Then all of a sudden, 20 days before the election, they changed their minds and do it. Why is that? Hmm, I wonder. Maybe it's because gas prices. I mean, I, I don't know about, about the rest of the country, but I can tell you, I travel all over, and I've been seeing gas over four dollars everywhere I go. It's four eleven here in Alexandria, Virginia. I'm flying to Minnesota. I'll be interested to see what it's uh, what it's like over there. But you know, that, that they they want to take credit when the gas prices go down, and then they want to, don't want the blame. The blame goes on Putin and the gas companies and everything like that when it goes up. 
and and they're manipulating the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which was created for a <clears> national <throat> security crisis uh, to protect us so that we wouldn't run out of gas. And if, if there was, say, a cutoff of you know of, of of oil from the from the from the Middle East or something, and they're using that as a political tool, it's literally a you know no pun intended a slush fund for, yeah. for the president for to for to 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 stave off the uh, the Republican takeover of Congress. So he says it's not politically motivated. So there there goes your theory. Uh, why wouldn't we believe oh, him? Oh, sorry. Uh, so he says this about our oil production. Cut five. Let's debunk some myths here. My administration has not stopped or slowed U.S. oil production. Quite the opposite. We're producing 12 million barrels of oil per day. And by the end of this year, we will be producing 1 million barrels a day, more than the day in which I took office. Well, let me give you an idea of uh, how wrong he is. So we know that in 2019, we were putting out 4.5 billion barrels a year, 2020, 4.1, 4.1 in 2021. And this year, only 2.5 billion. We know that when it comes to uh, what he's doing on federal land, he, no one uh, outside Eisenhower has drilled less or give less permits on federal land than this president. Trump gave out 4.4 million acres, uh, Obama 7.2 million Bush 43, 12.7, Clinton 9.6, Biden 0.13. Yeah. So here, here's what, what they're doing. So first of all, uh, you, you'll be shocked to hear that what the president said is factually incorrect. Um, that they, they, uh, The reason that production is up is because prices are up. And so despite all the signals from the administration that fossil they're, they're, and their war on fossil fuels and there's his threats to say, I'm going to end fossil fuel, there's an economic incentive for people to drill, so, the, so, so, they're, so they're drilling. But what they are doing in all of these steps is they are trying to take short-term steps to to uh, to r- lower prices, like getting the begging the Saudis and OPEC to increase production or releasing from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, but they won't do anything that will lower gas prices in the long term and keep them low because they don't care about low prices, Brian. They want prices to go up. They don't want the political blowback for high prices, but they want high prices and get for gasoline because that's the way they get us off of our our ha- our, our fossil fuel habit, just like the government artificially raised the price of cigarettes to get people to stop smoking, which worked. Uh, they, they, they want to see gas prices high so that people will be pushed into buying these electric vehicles and getting and, and stop using fossil fuels, while at the same yeah. time they're waging a war on fossil fuels that raises prices and discourages production. This is a strategy. It's a conscious choice. They don't like the fact that it's happening in the midst of a broader inflation crisis, which has raised prices from groceries and everything else through the roof. And so people are it's, – it's, it's a cumulative effect that's hurting them politically. But if everything else were the same, if the economy was humming and, and you know the inflation was normally under control, they'd be thrilled with rising gas prices because that's their goal is to get us to stop using it, to buy – they want us to not buy gas anymore. It's unbelievable that someone would become president and not do things that's in the best interest of our country. Uh, all and above strategy was what we agreed on. I thought Obama was doing that, too. But you have John Kerry, who is just uh, I think this guy is just a evil guy. Everything he touches goes anti-American. Uh, thank goodness he lost uh, he lost his run for the presidency. Well, he's the reason why he's one of the reasons why uh, home heating prices are so high right now, because which would have gone up a lot higher than 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 gas prices, uh, gasoline prices has because he went to the COP26 conference. 
and announced the Biden administration's policy. This is Biden administration policy. Nobody realizes this. No coal plants in America in eight years. Zero. He, right. he's, he's, they haven't come up with a technology to replace coal. The wind and solar, is, people don't realize this. There are no batteries commercially available to store wind and solar energy. So if you go, depend on wind and solar and there's no sun or wind, you don't get any electricity. So and that's why, the, why, why this hasn't been widely adopted except by force of the government. And so, you know, you, they want to get rid of the, the things that work before they have anything that's, uh, that's capable of replacing it. The way to do it, if you really want to have an electric, uh, a, a clean energy economy, is to invest in and make clean energy affordable so that people naturally turn to it because it's cheaper and more yeah, reliable. Compete. But if they can't make it cheap and reliable, then they're always going to use it. Absolutely. Mike Summers came out and said uh, this, and he is the president of the American Petroleum Institute. Increasing energy demand and constrained supply coupled with geopolitical instability and faulty policy decisions have driven fuel prices higher. At a time when the American energy can be stabilized, a stabilizing force at home and abroad, we urge caution in continuing to rely on short-term efforts that are no substitute for sound long-term policies. This administration should instead focus on addressing the fundamental economic and security challenges we face by spurring more investment in American energy infrastructure and markets that enable U.S. Uh, consumers to benefit from Americans, America's reliable energy sources. Instead, we get this from the president. Cut six. Earlier today, I talked about our efforts to keep gas prices down at the pump without delaying or deferring our transition to clean energy. Electric vehicles are part of that plan. And since I took office, electric vehicle sales have more than tripled. But we can't make enough. We don't have the cobalt. We don't have the lithium. We don't have the battery technology. We don't know where to throw them out. And the things we do have to buy, mostly from China. Yeah. Well, there you go. So here we are in a situation where where we can make internal combustion engines with products here at home. We don't need foreign foreign products to do it. We uh, the, we are under Trump. We became a the largest producer of oil in the world, surpassing Russia and Saudi Arabia as oil producers. So we have the fossil fuels here at home to fuel them, and they want us to get rid of that and depend on a technology that we are dependent on Russia and China for all the elements of these batteries. Right. Because Russia and why is that? Because Russia and China are willing to strip mine their countries. Yes. To get those elements. But the environmentalists here in America, the NIMBY environmentalists who want us to use the they want us to use these rare earth minerals, but they don't want to produce them here at home because that will make the environment ugly. Uh, So so we're going to depend on totalitarian regimes who will who will abuse their people and strip mine their countries and who hate America and make ourselves dependent again on our adversaries. For our transportation system. It's, it's, it's strategic insanity. 2022 is upon us. We're 19 days away. Mark Thiessen, where do you think uh, Republicans are most likely to pick up seats in the Senate? It's, you know, it's tough because if you look at some of these races, uh, you know, like in Georgia, Kemp is running, you know, seven or eight points ahead and Walker's tight. Uh, I'm amazed at the polls in Ohio that just came out, where DeWine is up like 18 points. The Secretary of State is up like 15 or 16 points. Everybody's up in double digits except Vance, who's who's neck and neck. I think the Republican wave is going to be so large 
now that it's going to sweep up some of these weak candidates. And I think that we, you, you could see Oz, Vance, and, and Walker stumble over the finish line ahead. Uh, but, boy, you know, and, and here's the other thing that's really driving me crazy. So, like, it, it, you know, we picked a horrible candidate in Ohio, J.D. Vance, who's running behind every other Republican in the state. And so Mitch McConnell is spending $40 million in Ohio, a red state, there where, where we should be cruising to election. That means that's money he's not spending in New Hampshire to to help uh, to help win that Senate race. It's money he's not spending uh, in other states uh, to 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 uh, to take out vulnerable Democrats in places like Colorado. So the picks of these weak candidates, they may end up winning. I hope they do because we've got to take back the Senate. But the picks of these weak candidates have have made it hard for us to pick up. Uh, other seats that could be uh, that could be vulnerable for for the Democrats and could be pickups and, well, and, and wasting momentum from this 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 red wave that's coming. So, do you think there was a better candidate than Blake Masters? Uh, I, I sure, absolutely. The, 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 and he, but he's tightening. I think he. I think Masters could win too. He's it's, a talent. I, I see. He's a very close. talented guy. I mean, self-made success story too. I see JD yeah, Vance. He did very well in the debate. He did very well yeah. in the debate. So, I mean, that's choking up on things. And Mark Kelly's weak. He's got a great resume. He should be there forever. Instead, he's been a blatant partisan and somewhat lazy. Cannot even read. He cannot yeah. even articulate what he thinks, even though you know he's got to be a genius to be able to be an astronaut. And he's a military officer. You would think he, with being around his wife, he understands politics. But to me, this guy is a huge disappointment. He's never, he should be mansion. Because if he wanted to survive in Arizona, that's what you would do, what cinema's doing. Instead, he yeah. just stays back, doesn't even stick up for her. No, that's exactly right. I think also what you're seeing in a lot of these candidates is you've heard a lot about how weak these candidates are, and so the Democrats have been underestimating them. So I think I think for, I was super impressed with the job that Walker did in his debate with Warnock. I think Warnock wasn't wasn't ready for it. There was one point where he where he where he uh, you know he had that line that about abortion that you know that there's no room there's not enough room for the doctor the woman and the and the, and the and government, the government? In, in that hospital room and he said there's also a baby in that room and by the way you're the one who wants taxpayer funding for abortion so you want the government in there I was like whoa where did that come from so Walker is not a great debater. But he clearly did the work in preparing, and he was he anticipated what what, what he was going to say. There was one point because you know Warnock is a pastor where he he told some lie about something, and he and he and and he used a line from scripture, basically saying, uh, "Don't bear false witness." Yeah, yeah, don't bear false witness. I mean, these were all great. I mean, Walker was did he did the work? He was prepared. He was much, and so and he had lowered expectations so much that you know people looked and said, hey, "That's he, he's holding his own," you know. Mark, so I don't. I don't need a. I don't need a rocket scientist in the Senate. I just need him to be able to say two words, yay and nay, at the right time. Uh, <laughs> Mark Thiessen. Uh, uh, unfortunately, when asked if we have any more time for the Mark Thiessen segment, the answer was nay. <laughs> so, so you got to be happy on some level about yay, that. Yay. Back in a moment. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'll be in your call shortly. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We go back into the war uh, that's really heating up as the Russians realize they can't win, but they can to try to destroy the infrastructure of the Ukraine. And that's what they're trying to do. Ukraine's uh, resilient. You know what their hope is? Their hope is to de- 
moralize the Ukrainian people. Have they noticed that's not possible? They're actually digging in more. They've already left and come back, and now they're stuck. They're sucking it up. They're all making uh, plans for a cold winter. It's not going to happen. Russians, by the way, this get this in Moscow. It's impossible to find men because they're all hiding or have left. Believe this. They've left the country rather than go to the stupid war that Vladimir Putin wanted to fight because he thought he could roll right in. Now there's a draft of 300,000 people, and men go 200, an amazing amount. I wrote this down. How many went to Kazakhstan? Can you imagine being so concerned about life in Moscow that you're going to go to Kazakhstan? Even Borat left Kazakhstan. Uh, It's amazing. 200,000 have gone to Kazakhstan. Others have fled to Georgia, Armenia, Israel, Argentina, and most of Western Europe. They're not coming back because the sanctions are beginning to take a toll and they have no Western culture at all right now. And even the rich kids are being asked to fight. And like they do, which is just shows how little they care about their people. They're putting the least experienced people in front with almost no training and very few weapons. What could go wrong? From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. He doesn't own the region. Martial law implies he's going to be more restrictive and controlling with, with the population. I mean, we know some horrific things he's already done, John. He's moving hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians into Russia, thousands of children uh, into Russia. And in some isolated areas, he's actually forcing Ukrainian men to fight against the Ukrainian military. So nothing is going to surprise us when it comes to this, but it's a complete sham. He doesn't own those four areas, as you pointed out, John. As a matter of fact, Ukraine has retaken territory in two of them, Luansk and the Hershon Oblast, and they're preparing operations now and, and beginning to execute it to retake territory in Saporizhia. So, yeah, and they're, they're also bombing the infrastructure just about everywhere they can. What's the reality on the ground? Let's go out to Dan Bilak. Uh, Bilak, he's a member of the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine, former chief investment advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine, uh, Zelensky. Uh, Dan, welcome back. Uh, thanks, Brian. Great to be back. So since last we spoke, it seems as though Vladimir Putin's goal is to blow up as much infrastructure as possible. And word is 30 percent of your power structure has been destroyed. Is that would you say that's accurate? Yeah, it's actually as of yesterday, 40 percent. They took out uh, a couple more heating plants in western Ukraine. Um, you know, it's it's it just, uh, you know, it's not even war crimes, Brian. It's just war crimes plus terrorism. Uh, this is Ronald Reagan called this an evil empire. It's a terrorist evil empire. There's this satanic desire to tar- target civilians and, uh, and infrastructure. And, you know, the, the fact that they're using Iranian drones, you know, is a sign of how desperate they are. They can't win on the ground, so they've got to go after the civilian infrastructure and they've got to kill civilians. You know, it's, I just don't know what else it's going to take for the administration to label Russia a terrorist state. You know, if they're buying weapons from a state sponsor of terrorism, which is what Iran is, and Estonia, Latvia, and now the, the, the Parliamentary Assembly of Council of Europe have designated them as a terrorist state. I mean, it, it, and both houses of Congress have, you know, if it looks like a terrorist, walks like a terrorist, and acts like a terrorist, it's pretty much a terrorist. Let alone the 100, 200, 300 people they killed. 
uh, because they're protesting their horrible regime of their own. The EU is preparing to punish Iran for providing the drones with sanctions. Wow. At the same time, negotiating a nuclear deal that will turn the whole Middle East on its head and nuclearize the whole thing. We, uh, idiotically, have alienated both Iran and Saudi Arabia. Really smart. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm disappointed in Israel. Israel is not providing missile defense. They're staying neutral. Brian, Brian, you really, this is a trigger for me because, you know, the Israelis who went through a genocide of, of their people, I would have thought would have been all in in their support of Ukrainians. Not to mention that half the people in Israel and in New York trace their roots to Ukraine. Uh, and you have a Jewish president in Ukraine. Um, you know, it's just incomprehensible to me that, that, that Israel has taken this position, especially with the Iranian involvement. I mean, they're watching how these drones are going to be acting. Where, where do you, who do you think they, these drones were designed to attack in the first place? They weren't designed to attack Ukrainians. They were designed to attack Israelis. And, you know, this is also a, a direct threat to the United States. I mean, we've we got to be honest with, with ourselves about this. Is that this, is, this is not just a Ukrainian-Russia conflict. It's now expanded. We're now fighting, we're now fighting an axis of evil. Uh, as another Republican president called it, uh, of Russia, Iran, and, and Belarus, and North Korea, all supported by China. We have, you know, this is clearly becoming a, a bipolar world where, you know, democracies that believe in freedom and, and the rule of law are, are against the totalitarian states that murder uh, uh, civilians. So do you, and, you, do, know, you, do you have, uh, listen, I hear you, and you know I agree with you, uh, but is there a plan in place to the resourceful Ukrainian people to start getting temporary heating, uh, oil, gas, some type of uh, plan B when it comes to your uh, uh, heating and electric? Well, we're all we're all we're all doing what we can. Everybody's been you know really cut back on electricity in the last uh, two days. I'm sitting in a dark house uh, uh, so that we you know we've avoided, we've avoided. Uh, the rolling blackouts uh, uh, to this point in time, but, you know, they're coming. Um, you know, I've got uh, seven cubic meters, uh, which is like uh, 10 cords of wood uh, my, uh, with my, my Vermont casting heat stove uh, that, uh, that, that uh, I'm going to be sparking up. So we're, we're, we're going to do our best. But, you know, we, we, we're going to win this still, Brian, and we're winning it now because we've got God, guts, and good on our side. What we need is more guns, and we need we need attackums. We need the long range missiles. We need the the NASAMs that they've been promising us. These are the anti aircraft, anti missile systems. You know they're, they're they're bombing us from the skies. They're taking out you know seventy percent of what they're throwing at us, but thirty percent has taken out forty percent of our uh, of our heating and our electricity. So and, we, yeah. you know, this is this is actually what what's gonna what's gonna be happening to Europe if we don't stop this guy in Ukraine now. You know, drone attacks, pipeline destruction, internet cable destruction, like he's done in Norway, taking out the you know a terrorist act on the German railway system. We had an attack traced to the Russians against U.S. airports recently. This is all coming to a, a country near you uh, if if we don't stop this guy. And, and we need this. We need this kit. We need it now. You know, we're getting it, but we're we're still not getting it fast enough. We asked to close the skies. Months ago, help us close this guy. They wouldn't give us planes. You know, even though we had a swap. Remember, you and I were talking about the the poles were going to give us 29 MIGs 
uh, from Soviet era and, and the administration didn't didn't allow it to go through. I mean, those things would have made a huge difference. But you know, it is what it is, and 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 you know, I'm so grateful as always to the people of the United States. You know, without you, we'd we'd be we'd be mud today. And uh, you know, I, I I just hope that we can we can get through this winter and and put this guy destroy their army and and. And save democracy and and preserve freedom. I mean, that's it's it's in all of our interests. It is, and and you know, I was uh, Eric here is a producer. He also has brought up he brought up a great point to me yesterday. He said it's so beneficial for America to watch the destruction of the Russian army and see their tactics and their equipment front and center without risking American lives. One thousand percent, Brian. Look. You know, people say, well, we're not sure if you should get into NATO. My gosh, we, we've taken out 50% of, of NATO's number one enemy, yep. which is Russia. And it didn't cost NATO anything. You know, I hear people in the United States complain about, oh, yeah, we can't give Ukraine blank checks or, or it costs a lot of money. Brian, it's a rounding error in the Pentagon budget. I mean, really, and we're really grateful for it. We understand people make sacrifices, but we're dying and fighting and the American people get to get the benefit of what we're doing, this preservation of freedom, protection against terrorism in the United States by helping us and, and, right. and this army on our territory. But we are not doing a good job with this administration of replenishing what we're giving. Uh, and we have to do better from our own uh, javelins on down. So we have to pick up the pace there. I wouldn't be worried about Trump or Bush with that. I am worried about uh, Biden and Obama with that. They just were never big on... On defense, you remember if they didn't, they, President Obama is the one who gave you MREs and blankets when they took the Crimea. I'm sure I didn't have to remind you of that. We, I, I saw so many people who were beside themselves saying, if we let them take Crimea, what are we going to do when they take more? Oh, it's not going to happen. Crimea is historically theirs, and then we see what happened. So I hear you. Here's more from General Jack Keen about what he's seeing. Cut 41. Well, it is the Russian way of war. There's nothing that's particularly unique about it in Ukraine because he, Putin has done that since the day he took over when he moved his troops into Chechnya and really made war on the people that lived there and killed literally thousands of people. Did the same thing in Georgia, did the same thing. The brutality in Syria was absolutely off the charts. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of civilians killed by bombardment raids, to include deep penetration bombs to go down into hospitals that were built underground. That is the degree and depth that they, they steep to to kill civilians. So we see it again. This is a war criminal for sure, a thug and a killer. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, he, he gets in, he sees what's going on. They can't win. They, they have, evidently, I was just reporting this before, that Moscow, there's a, no men. All the men have left or are hiding because they don't want to be drafted. There's 200,000 Russians in Kazakhstan. They've flooded into Georgia, Armenia, Israel, Israel, and Argentina, as well as Western Europe. People in, in Russia, uh, they want no part of this. Oh, Brian, they're, they're surrender. They're trying to surrender on the field, but they're afraid to surrender because they, they, there's an echelon behind them that will shoot them. This is exactly what the KGB used to, the Czechists did in the Second World War. So they're, they're still in the Second World War playbook. Look, everywhere the Russians go, they only leave behind despair, destruction, and death. That's all that anybody can expect. So I don't know how anybody expects to negotiate a peace with these guys until their army is destroyed. 
So what right now, what are the chances, I think it's called, I know it's an acronym, the attacks missile, uh, you need the long distance, yeah, it's got to go more more miles because they're backed up. Are you going to get that? Good question. Uh, In the last Ramstein uh, meeting where they discussed these things, 40 countries uh, come together to to talk about uh, 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 giving Ukraine weapons. They they were finally talking about uh, giving these, I understand. I mean, we're waiting to see it. Uh, It'll be just like the HIMARS work. took us forever to get the HIMARS. And once they came in, our guys showed that we could do it. We know how to use American equipment. We know how to use it effectively. We know how to use it. Uh, I mean, we're repairing a lot of this stuff ourselves. Uh, you know, even the HIMARS weren't designed for the kind of intensity of, of artillery battle that we use. So we're, we're fixing these things in real time. Do you give us the stuff, and if we can put it in those HIMARS, and it'll go a lot further, and it'll get this done faster. You uh, know, we yeah. keep say they're tired of the war. We're tired of the war. We want to get this done as fast as possible. I, I, are you ready for the winter? Well, Brian, you know, as, we're as, I guess we're as ready as we can be. I mean, I don't know if we're going to have electricity. I don't know if we're going to have heat. Uh, we will puff it out, um, you know, and uh, we're just going to do whatever we have to do. Ninety percent of the people, no matter how hard they're, they've been hit, whatever hardships that they're, they're enduring, say that we have to win this war and we give up no territory. Ukrainians will never surrender. We watched the refugees uh, leave when the war started and the bombing began, and we thought Kiev was going to be invaded. Have they come back? Have, the, have most people come back or stayed away? A lot have, Brian. Uh, a couple million, actually. Um, you see it in the streets of Kiev uh, and, and in other places. Uh, obviously, you know, we're in, we're in a, a situation of vulnerability now uh, with our heating and our electricity and our power systems and water. Um, but, you know, we haven't seen a big, I don't know if we're going to see another uh, outflux of, uh, of, of people. But, you know, Ukrainians are, are, are resilient. You know, we're resilient, uh, we're resistant, and, uh, and we will, uh, uh, we are resolute. We will, we will not give up, and, and, you know, with your help and, and God's help, we will, we will, we will win this, uh, you know, hopefully by the spring. Yeah, and cut Russia down to size afterwards and maybe show, uh, to teach China a lesson about re- going into Taiwan. That would be great. Uh, You're Daniel- watching this real carefully, Brian. You're watching this really carefully. Uh, well, there last question for you. Are there, in, are there Iranian fighters on the, uh, on the battlefield? Well, according to, the, according to uh, U.S. intelligence, there are the, the, these, uh, these reprehensible uh, revolutionary guards. And they've come, they're in Crimea, apparently, teaching the Russians how to use the drones. And they are now, apparently, the Iranians have sold the Russians' ballistic missiles, Brian. So we're going we're gonna to have that death rain down on us as well. And we're watching, you know, we're not done here in, in, in the north. Uh, we're watching what's happening in Belarus to our north. Um, we, a big buildup starting there. Uh, we think that uh, the, the reports are that uh, the Russians are going to go after the supply lines uh, uh, from the West. So, you know, this is, this is, this is not going to, this is going to get uh, a whole lot worse before it gets better. But we are advancing in Kherson, as you know. I mean, they're, they're evacuating, not just, uh, uh, you know, kidnapping Ukrainians. And I, I don't know how many, actually, they say hundreds of thousands. They'd like to take hundreds of thousands. But there are a lot of people from our reports in the Ukrainian uh, telegram channels that are saying that people are refusing to go. So, 
we'll see how that works out. But you know, we need if we can take uh, get to the Dnipro River and uh, and and cut off the water to uh, uh, to Crimea uh, means that our we're that much closer to to where the Russian forces are. If we get these uh, new systems that we've been promised, uh, and especially the Atakams, uh, we can go a lot further. We can start taking their ships out. Uh, this, this, you know, give us the kit and, and we'll do the rest. I hear you, and you've proven that. Uh, Daniel B- uh, Bilak, thanks so much uh, for bringing us to the battlefield because we're always thinking about you guys. Uh, he's a, a chief investment advisor. Now we're in the, uh, helping fight this war uh, to the prime minister of Ukraine calling us from Ukraine. Daniel, thank you. God bless. God bless the people of the United States. All right. Bye, I hear you. Uh, when we come back, we'll take your calls, one 866 And go over where the president's going to be today. You're, I'm, you're going to be surprised. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Will any of you vote specifically based on a politician's views on abortion? No. Strictly no. If the choice is pro-life or poor choice and they're only pro-life with no other circumstance, I would never vote for them. So yes, I would I would make that decision solely on that because that's a that's a line I'm unwilling to cross. I agree. So that's Bucks County, Pennsylvania speaking up and speaking out about what abortion means. And I think that is why Dr. Oz is moving up. I think that when it first came down, Roe v. Wade being kicked to the states for decisions and the Kansas decision where they went for zero and they didn't get zero weeks. Uh, and they, that's a very red state. Uh, the people said, oh, we, we got an issue. And this Supreme Court, let's make the Supreme Court too radical for America. And let's say how, how corrupt it is. And then blame Trump and January 6th. And, of course, we got abortion. And it peaked. If you see some of these charts, everything peaked for the Democrats in July. It, it, it capped off in August. And start leaning red again in September. And it's been an incredible three weeks for Republicans simply because they're addressing the needs this is how unique this year is. You'd be like, the economy's a problem, inflation's an issue, how do we address it? Republicans want to do X, Democrats want to do Y. Now we have the economy's bad, uh, the economy's bad, it's got economists worried, it's got inflation is way too high, it is not transitory. Republicans admit it's a problem, the Democrats talk abortion and January 6th. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not giving credit to Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. I'm not giving credit to anyone. I think the candidates, as Mark Thiessen mentioned earlier, a lot better than anyone thought. They weren't as well-known, not traditional. Dr. Oz is really conversational. Uh, Kerry Lake, as governor of Arizona's candidate, is fantastic. Blake Masters is incredibly competent. And you, know, J.D. Vance, a rural guy who makes an Ivy League education, best-selling author who served in the military. I know people don't seem to uh, rallying around him. But if he gets in, and I expect him to get in in Ohio, just not by as much as traditional... I think he'll be one of the most popular, most effective senators. So I think a a lot of that downplaying the candidate quality was not smart. From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Uh, thanks for being with us all week long. Don't forget One Nation. We're queuing up now to have a big show on Saturday night. We're going to have Herschel Walker. He's all lined up and a few other surprises, uh, which I know will be great. We'll be riding the news and seeing what's taking place uh, then. And, of course, uh, we'll have an interview with Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, he's got his book out. We'll take it a little bit of a different direction. His book is fantastic, by the way. It gives you a perspective not only of his history uh, with his family, but also history of Israel and, and how it got to where it is. We'll talk about all that. And also the big issue here is oil and gas. If you checked your utility bills this month, you're going to be shocked. They basically doubled. And if you go to get gas, it's on average $3.85. But most people are telling me it's over $4. If you're in California, it's over 7 And who's to blame? Well, if you listen to the president, oil and gas companies. I don't listen to the president. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Did the White House ask you not to declare a state of emergency? Absolutely not. You know, one of the things I'm very thankful for the White House, the federal government, they've done a really, really good job of working with us and helping us to make sure border cities are required to do. Uh, there you go. Uh, that is... It's only going to get worse from here. And that's the Democratic mayor, Oscar Lesser, uh, a Dem mayor, got caught lying, contending he was not pressured by the Biden administration to stop sending illegals to New York and D.C. and don't declare a state of emergency despite your city being overwhelmed by illegal immigrants. Meanwhile, Governor Ducey was told to take down his makeshift wall because they won't finish the wall. The federal government won't because Donald Trump was building it. Uh, Yeah, while illegals stream into this country. Unbelievable. While luxury tent cities are being built at Randall's Island in New York City. Unacceptable. This overall, an epic fail from this administration. Number two. Having children, it's why you're concerned about how much food costs. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. What? Here we go again. 20 days and counting, and the president heads to Pennsylvania to try and flip a seat and save his Senate as Fetterman's donor do- uh, doctor writes him a note saying he's A-OK as doctor-turned-candidate Mehmet Oz surges, and we try to find out why Stacey Abrams thinks linking inflation and abortion is a good thing. Number one. Right now, the Strategic Petroleum, Re- strategic petroleum Reserve is more than half full with about 400 million barrels of oil. That's more than enough for any emergency drawdown. Really? President Biden, here we go again. The president looks at a problem and finds a point of focus for blame. And it's oil and gas. And stunningly taps our emergency reserves to flood world markets to keep prices at current levels. Uh, we look at the facts and push back. So here's the you heard the president of the United States yesterday. He's warning against gouging. He's already launched an investigation into gouging by oil and gas companies. And they came up with nothing. But he still keeps at it. Cut to. I'm calling oil companies to pass the savings on to consumers. Consider this. In the second quarter of this year, profits at six of the largest producers publicly traded oil companies were more than $70 billion. When the cost of oil comes down, we should see the price of the gas station at the pump come down as well. That's how it's supposed to work. But that's not what's happening. How does he know how it's supposed to work? The gas and oil industry is a mystery to him. That's pretty clear. Uh, let's bring in uh, Tim Stewart. Uh, he lives his life in this industry. Uh, he is the U.S. He's the president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association. And I imagine, Tim, your ears perked up when the president went behind the microphone yesterday. 
You know, I'm a little worked up this morning, Brian, so you got to bear with me, okay? But, yeah, um, I, I, we just kind of sat there with, uh, with a, a amazed look on our face of the stuff we heard yesterday. You know, but it's interesting. I don't know if you saw this, but one of the pajama boys on MSNBC last night said that keeping gas prices low is the key to preserving and strengthening democracy. That's the next argument that we're going to start hearing over the next 10 days. The reality is, is well, nobody takes those pajama boys seriously. It's indicative of the panic that the Democrats feel right now. They realize that high gas prices that they brought on us are now threatening their hold. And that was the result of yesterday's uh, breathless and, frankly, empty announcements. So um, the American people, we're, we're smart, okay? And uh, they, they can see through this. But, boy, yeah, there's a lot to unpack from what was said yesterday. All right. First off, he says, uh, when it comes to oil and gas production, and nothing they've done nothing to decrease it, uh, he said this. Cut four. That's why I have been doing everything in my power to reduce gas prices since Putin's invasion of Ukraine caused these price hikes, these prices to spike and rattle international oil markets. I focused on how we can protect American families from that spike and give folks just a little bit of breathing room, as my dad would say. So, I mean, he's done everything in his power to reduce oil and gas prices. Is that correct? Well, I can point to 120 different different individual individual actions that that the administration put in place both before and after the invasion that the hobbles of domestic oil and gas production. Uh, every single one of those actions, and I pointed this out yesterday, every single one of those actions will make it harder for industry to produce the barrels that they want to buy back to put back into the strategic petroleum reserve. And frankly, our first responsibility as an industry is, will be to sell to the consumers who actually need it rather than the government who wants to store it. And so I have to call BS on the administration. They know better than this, and they know it's not true. So right now they've given up $2.5 billion. You pump $2.5 billion barrels of uh, oil in 2021, and that's where, where the year's not done, obviously, but we're in October, so we've got two months left. 2021, 4.1 billion. 2020, 4.1 billion. 2019, 4.5 billion. Were you on track to go beyond that? He says I've done exactly the amount of the amount that the previous guy did before him. Now, there's a great study that Stephen Moore put out a couple of weeks ago that shows, and the industry backs it up, is that had things remained unchanged from the Trump administration and its policies, even with COVID. Had things remained unchanged, Brian, we'd be up to around 13 or 14 million barrels a day in production. But the administration put the kibosh on that. You'd be at 13 million. Yeah, 13 to 14 million a day, and that—that's you know—that's what we were—that's what we're capable, of, and that was the trajectory. Uh, obviously, change of administration, change of plans. But you know, the difference between the Biden administration and the gas industry, Brian, is that the industry has a memory. To be honest with you. We remember when Biden said no more drilling. He said that during the campaign. We remember all those lease sales that they stopped. We remember killing the Keystone. We remember the White House asking to be investigated, like you just like you just mentioned, to investigate us. And dozen reports saying there's no 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 systematic or illegal actions taking place. And we remember the the president bad mouthing the small mom and pop gas and station owners. So when he says it's time to produce more, honestly, we remember that he's not a very good faith, good faith partner. And frankly, his policies are. Or, or, or I want us to produce less. So we can kind of see through this. What about the strategic oil reserve? He says it's no big deal. I got plenty left. Well, you got 400 million barrels. The reality is, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's drawn us down to the point where, and a lot of it depends on, you and I talked about this last week, I think, a lot of it depends on, on what type of crude you're selling out. The administration has depleted that medium sour crude that is in the reserve that's most useful to the refiners. Um, much of that remains as the, as the light sweet crude, and that's harder to refine. 
And so it's not just do we have enough oil, do we have enough of the right oil that will actually help us absorb any price shocks or emergencies. Our refining infrastructure is still, still built around that old imported crude, which we started in the 70s when those refiners were built. And so this goes to that investment issue that we talk about all the time as well. The industry is reticent to to put money in if we're hearing from the accused administration that, that uh, oil will be sunsetted here in the next 10 or 15 years. I understand. Ron uh, Klain, the chief of staff, who many people think is really running the government, said this moments ago. I say, first of all, we, we had Republicans say, hey, he needs to do something about gas prices. And then we did something about gas prices. And they're like, well, well, don't do that. So so it's hard for me to take the criticism very seriously. Yeah, can I respond to that? I'll, yeah. I'll respond to that. Is that all right? Sure. I'd say, I'd say, Ron, the three steps you announced yesterday, this is what you threw at the American consumer. You're going to release 15 million barrels of, of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. The United States consumes 20 million barrels a day. You're going to refill that Strategic Petroleum Reserve in the future. That's great. When I run my car out of gas, I put, I put gas back in the car. So I'm not going to applaud you for basic functionality of government. And the third thing you did was call on the energy com- companies to, to reduce prices. That's it. That's all you offered up yesterday as a major announcement. So I have to say that we need more than that. We need far more than that. Why don't you start and go back to the things you, you did starting on your very day one and rescind those 120 different actions, and then we got a deal. The 120 different actions to hurt the oil and gas industry and start pushing towards renewables. Correct, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he also, yeah, they went out of their way to say that they were pushing you guys. You are making profits, but isn't that because you cannot maximize the product and there's it's more and more in, de- in demand? And therefore, of course, the price is going to go up. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and you have sort of members of Congress who say, well, gosh dang, all, all the inflation is due to, to company profits. No, the, the, the inflation is due to prices, which then produce those profits. And, I, again, I hate to, to be crude, but LBJ said it best about this administration, I think. He says, look, I made, LBJ said, I, I may, may not know much, but I know chicken crap from chicken salad. And I think American consumers, uh, you know, they can see this see through the crap that, that the administration is trying to shovel out right now three weeks before the election. Well, uh, well I guess we're going to find out. Uh, so right now, have you felt the divestment from oil and gas fossil fuels from the major banks already? Yeah, a lot of my companies are are still concerned. You know, they they this uh, is not as liquid as it used to be. And you know, the administration was, you know, the old man was yelling at the clouds, so to speak, on stock buybacks yesterday as well. And the reality is, the shale revolution was very very expensive and it was very risky. And now those companies are finally returning that investment back to shareholders. And that comes in the form of dividends and stock buybacks. So, you know, we've, it's true we've made profits, but the reality is, is we have the choice between um, returning our money back to the investors who've waited for 10 years to get it back, or do we do more on CapEx? And companies are making those individual decisions. Uh, you know, the interesting thing among that is, is among many things that the Biden administration doesn't understand, and you said this just a few minutes ago about our industry, is they don't understand who invests in us. You know, CalPERS, the California retirement system, has $43 billion in oil and gas stocks. That's in retirement funds. Anybody who has an investment in, in mutual fund is investing in us. And so when $9 trillion of wealth has been erased, you know, from the markets, and the administration is yelling at the only industry that has had a positive return over the past 18 months, and we want to return that to our investors, including grandmas and grandpas and retired teachers, you know, they clearly they don't understand how the markets work. 
I'm talking to Tim Stewart, president of U.S. Oil and Gas. So the 19 states are investigating major U.S. banks for pushing ESG policies and killing American companies. So uh, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citigroup, uh, Missouri uh, and Missouri, Kentucky, Arizona, Texas, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska. You get the idea. The AGs are combining to find out what is going on. And if you're, for example, in West Virginia and you are divesting from fossil fuels, they, they will no longer let, allow your bank to be in West Virginia. Will this help? I think it will. You know, and part of the problem is is in the major ESG firms, they charge a premium for their ESG fund management. And, you know, it's 25 basis points or higher. So they make more money by pushing investors into ESG funds, even though those returns are not necessarily going to be higher or better uh, and then some of the other traditional legacy companies. So I think there's some merit to this investigation, and I think they're going to find some things that uh, – that these uh, companies or these investment firms are not necessarily operating in the best uh, interest of the of the funds that they're managing. Is, I mean, Tim, you're not. A, I'm not. We don't book you to talk about Congress and what their abilities are. But if uh, the Republicans do get the House and Senate, and they wanted to increase production, and if they wanted to increase fracking, will they? Have you ever seen it bubble up from Congress to the White House? Well, you know, there's an interesting, and I actually I worked for Congress for a long time, and so I've you know watched these guys. And the reality is, is there's a lot that you can do primarily through um, the ability to restrict the administration on its rulemaking ability, and and a lot of that, the, a lot of the bad actions that have taken place against our industry over the last 18 months with the administration have been primarily through the rulemaking and the regulatory process. And a, and a Congress can basically put a prohibition on any funds or actions going forward until such and such a date. So I think if the, the House flips or the Senate flips, or uh, you're going to send some clear market signals to our industry that there's going to be parity, there's going to be more balance. And I think that's going to restore some of the faith from the markets back into, into the oil and gas industry. And, and do you believe that LNG plants and terminals could be set up in Europe and we could be their main supplier? I, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, again, the U.S. is an energy superpower, Brian. We, are, we have been for years and years. We're the top producer of oil and gas. We're the top producer of coal. We can do this and uh, we can provide for our allies so long as the administration doesn't come in with some lame idea like export, mm-hmm. like re- limiting exports you know, or refined product exports. It, that just it harms our allies when they do that. So why do I hear from Tim Stewart and other association presidents and not hear from Chevron and, and major companies on a pushback like that? Well, you know, trade associations, that's what they hire us to do. They hire us to go out and, and be the cannon fodder. And um, I understand that because they've got to answer to investors in Wall Street and others. Uh, I, you know, like, I, I appreciate your, our conversations because you've told me that we've got to talk louder and more often, and I've done that. And I, I'm starting to see my fellow trades take our lead yep. and be a little more aggressive. So thank you. I think you, uh, you, know, you, you have directed us in the direction <laughs> we needed to go. Okay, it's okay. I'm. Uh, I just know enough to have much. I don't know. I spoke in front of uh, to Mansfield Oil, a family-owned mm-hmm. oil company, and I spent the next eighteen hours learning all about the intricacies of the business. And I cannot believe how complicated it is, how hard work it is, in so many cases, how little profit there is. And to hear somebody who doesn't understand the business doesn't have any interest in learning talk about it, I find it endlessly frustrating. And I can't imagine uh, you could even uh, live your life without throwing things at the TV. Or your flat screen, yeah. Tim Stewart. Yeah, it, it, it gets it's, it's, it's that's for sure. I'll take that. So, yeah, right. thank you. You got it, Tim Stewart. Thanks so much. He's president of U.S. Oil and Gas. Turns out the president does not have it right. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, just quick note, uh, I'm going to be able to go in front of a live audience, which I love best, in Tulsa, Oklahoma on November 13th. And I'll be able to talk about the President Freedom Fighter, which comes out on paperback on Tuesday, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, Thomas Jefferson, the Triple E Pirates, Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, George Washington's Secret Six, and Thomas Jefferson, the Triple E Pirates, because I just shouldn't mention that, along with sports, inspirational, motivational, very patriotic night. We've been doing this all across the country. I wanted to do it in Tulsa because every time I go to Tulsa in particular, we sign books at Barnes & Noble, and it's fantastic. But I never get a chance to talk to anybody, just kind of by the way, the between the pandemic and by the way, the, the, the layout of the store. And to go to be able to go to Mississippi uh, and Brandon, Mississippi is fantastic because I never get a chance to go there, but I know we have listeners there, and I know we have viewers there at Fox, and then following up in Newark, New Jersey, and I want to pull out all those people that seem to love Fox in uh, Newark, New Jersey on December 2nd. If you just go to BrianKillMe.com, I'd love to see you all out there. With Newark, New Jersey, especially WABC listeners, Frank Morano says he's going to be coming down there. I think I got Sid virtually to commit. Other news, uh, Carly Shimkus says you guys might come by. Pete Hegseth is committed. We'll talk about his brand-new book uh, and Rachel Campos, Duffy, and more surprises. It's going to be a great night at a beautiful theater. At least that's what Gutfeld tells me. Uh, and also, my book comes out in paperback, and we added additional information. I kind of brought news to history, sadly, because they're trying to take down Frederick Douglass's statue, trying to take Abraham Lincoln's name off schools, and what is... Uh, and take a statue down. And what's the name of the book? The President and Freedom Fighter. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I had a conversation this morning, this morning or yesterday with uh, the chief of the U.S. Border Patrol, uh, Chief uh, Ortiz, and he... Um, he does not support uh, declaring a state of emergency at this point. Our congresswoman has uh, urged for us not to do that, and our county judge does not support that at this point. We may have to do that. I mean, there's going to be a point where we may have to do that. But at this point, and the White House has asked at this point for us not to do that. That is the mayor of El Paso, overwhelmed. You have to see this video if you haven't yet. It is a garbage dump through nothing to do with them. It's all legal aliens. They come there. They live on the street. Everything's overflowing. Tent cities have cropped up. Venezuelans lately, but it's been everybody. India, Sri Lanka. Uh, you have, uh, obviously, Cuba, which has always been an issue. Horrible governments. And other people just want a better life. I'm coming. And they're staying in El Paso. So the Democratic mayor was sending these buses to two, two major cities, including New York, where I am. And it's overwhelming. I get it. But it was the Democrats, they have put much more in buses and sent here three times as much as Governor Abbott has of the entire border city. So you heard the mayor admitting getting pressure from the administration not to declare a state of emergency and now pressuring not to do it at all. And three members of the council, city council, said, what are you doing? And they told the story. He says, yeah, the mayor has told me this. They're getting pressure from Joe Biden's administration not to declare a state of emergency. And then he comes out and says this to Dana Perino yesterday. Did the White House ask you not to declare a state of emergency? Absolutely not. You know, one of the things I'm very thankful for the White House, the federal government, they've done a really, really good job of working with us and helping us to make sure we get funding to be able to do the job that border cities are required to do. You know, as a border city, we have responsibilities. 
what a joke. This guy is so afraid or in awe of the White House, he's not doing what's best for his people. And now he's going to allow that place to be a dump, El Paso to be a dump. They want to, You move to El Paso for small-town America uh, to be left alone, that Texas attitude, that can-do attitude. And now the federal government totally lets you down and you elect a mayor that is uh, basically subservient to this to this government, it's a joke. So Claudia Rodriguez was on with Jesse. She was on with us on Fox and Friends too. She's on the El Paso City Council. The guy is lying now. Cut thirty six. I sit on City Council in El Paso, Texas. Um, we're supposed to be a nonpartisan governmental body, and for me to hear that, you know, I was really floored because as long as much as the mayor wants to say this is not a political issue, um, yeah, those comments would probably say otherwise. Oh, yeah, I think so. It is solid politics, and it's sickening. So this is what the administration is going to be kind of sad about and hopefully get their comeuppance in uh, 19 days. Border security. How many of you are extremely or very concerned about border security? When asked, registered voters, 67%. That's October 9th to the 12th. Registered voters, 67%. So for those of you who are ignoring it, you couldn't, thanks to Abbott and DeSantis. And now you see you're going to pay for it at the ballot box. If you don't, things are going to get a whole lot worse if they don't. If voters don't back up what they say to these uh, pollsters. Where pollsters, uh, uh, they say, are more apt to get modest answers on issues than they are in candidates, I think that's, a, that's Trump-oriented. So the other big story that I think is, is just shows you exactly where the administration stands, it's what's happening in Arizona. What they tried to do is pile up shipping containers on these huge gaps in the wall that wasn't able to finish because Donald Trump lost the election. So they got this huge gap. So they filled up the 4,000-foot gap with these shipping containers that went piled on top of each other at 22 feet high. So now they fill in the gap on the wall, and then they put razor wire on top in case they find a way to climb it. So 9,000 pounds, 22 feet high. We'll handle it ourselves. You guys battle it out on when the wall is going to be built, which, by the way, we paid for already. So now the federal government says, no, get rid of it. What do you mean get rid of it? You're not allowed to do that. You're trespassing on federal land. What are you talking about? So Arizona fired back the myriad of federal agencies that claim jurisdiction of the southern border but do nothing to prevent public nuisance caused by illegal immigration and criminal activity that exploit the open border is quite frustrating to those that live, work, and recreate on the border and in our state. They're leaving it. So the federal government's going to come down, and they are happier with the huge gap. So you don't even have to debate with the wall works. We don't have enough border patrol to handle the entire border. So they ferry and funnel or they just repel people overall into one area where they're at least they could try to attempt to process them. And now the federal government in Arizona is trying to get involved. So Carrie Lake, what do you think? Do you think that she'd be the type of person to stand up to the federal government, use resources in order to make sure if those containers are taken out, that wall is rebuilt? I am sure she would. She's a fighter. And I think things like this with the Republican governor who has been in, you know, in the crosshairs of President Trump at times because he wouldn't admit uh, he wouldn't. He never found that there was election fraud. And, of course, he didn't want to admit something he didn't believe. So now uh, Carrie Lake is the one who, to me, is the most talented politician that I've seen in quite some time, who I've never seen somebody more sure of herself in front of hostile crowds in hostile interviews than her. Knows the issues, is a broadcaster, but understands friction and seems to embrace it. Check it out. So something else not brought up is probably brought up in your house, but not in the president's house. 12,000 fentanyl pills were found packaged in. Drum roll, please. What's coming up? Halloween candy at LAX. 
at a TSA checkpoint. What does it look like? Looks like Skittles, looks like Nerds, a million different candy brands. Why wouldn't you, if you're a little kid, see that, put that in? If you're a sinister, you're a criminal, you decide, I'm going to kill as many kids as possible, the same people that allow what's equivalent of what we lost in World War II to die, same thing with kids. That's how crazy it is. So we will see what happens when it comes to what's happening at the border. Now, in terms of abolishing ICE, that's exactly what what, uh, Mandela Barnes has talked about doing and almost every Democratic candidate from Elizabeth Warren on down. Jonathan Fahey is a former acting ICE director. He's seeing these Wisconsin candidates in particular now try to backtrack on on defunding ICE. Uh, Now they say they never wanted to do it. That's not going to fly with him. Let's listen to 37. You know, it's kind of interesting how he's trying to walk this back now because he's running for election, trying to center himself to the middle. But, yeah, he he is, was, you know, he I don't know that he actually ever said it, but he was associated with groups like tweets, did other stuff to show that he he wanted ICE abolished. And it's really just anti-ICE. So, you know, he and others that have been on this crusade to just take down ICE, uh, demonize ICE agents in every single respect by, you know, comparing, calling them racist, delegitimizing what they're doing, treat, treating them like they're doing something heavy handed, unlawful, when they've been simply just doing their job, trying to keep our communities safe and our country safe. And, and it really is disgraceful. And it is. You know what they do? They get criminals. Uh, they're not getting the average illegal alien. There's just not enough of them. But when you hear about a criminal and they find their way into your city, your town, your street, ICE shows up and they take them out. Tough guys and ladies. And they go in there and they hunt them down. They're almost like bounty hunters. They'll find them. Now people are working against ICE. And now you have politicians working against ICE. So the fact is they need security around their own uh, bureaus or, or precincts, whatever they might be called. So open up the borders. When you go to close the border, uh, go after the governor. Really. Uh, allow all these illegal immigrants to be used as pawns going from city to city because all the border cities are overwhelmed and governors aren't going to take it anymore. And the president just ignores it along with the fentanyl problem. How could this not be around? How could it not be? It makes no sense. So that's what's happening with illegal immigration. This tent city in New York is so outrageous. Today, Rachel Campos Duffy last night went there. They wouldn't let her through the fence on Randall's Island, which is literally an island off Manhattan that is full of uh, sports fields. So you hear everything from field hockey to soccer to cricket to rugby raging 25, maybe 50 fields there. So guess what? Mostly males are going to be put in 10 cities. All right. They're going to get three meals a day. They're going to get the Xbox. They're going to get entertainment. They're going to get phone banks all for free on our money, our taxpayer dollars. And you know they're going to sit there and say, well, I'm a little bored. It's Saturday afternoon, 67 degrees. I'm in Randall's Island. I look out. I see these turf fields. I see these. I'm going to go watch a few games. Now, if they have no ill intent, still problematic. I don't know who they are. But if they do have ill intent, man, you have a lot of places to go. Because kids running back and forth, going underneath trestles, finding their car in these parking lots. I've been there, coach games, watch games there forever, for 20 years. That's going to be extremely dangerous. You just wait. And now they have two tents built, I think, handling 500 people. You know how many illegals there are? 20,000 plus. You know what the problem is? The hotels, which are $400 a month, now people are starting to come to New York. And the hotel operators are saying, "I I want them out. I don't want, I don't care how much money you give me, you, they're destroying the place. Nobody wants a homeless shelter in the middle of an elite re, uh, hotel. I have people, you got to go. That's why they're building the 10 city renting cruise ships.
and Mayor Adams thinks this is a good job? Are you nuts? When we come back, we'll find out if there's more to know. Um, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Also, a big announcement. Tomorrow, President Trump will be joining us on the show along with Herschel Walker. So make sure you uh, listen or get the podcast. But I know you're getting it already. Don't move. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. And we set out a vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I guess it didn't happen. What kind of system is this? She comes out, let's say she didn't pitch it right or present it correctly, and she's out after 40-plus days? I mean, come on. Is it, she said, oh, sorry, fire my finance minister, get back to work. It, it's like getting rid of, for example, Bill Clinton after he blew gays in the military as his first issue. It had no popularity, and uh, people thought it was terrible, and his numbers cratered, or Obamacare failing, and his party getting shellacked like Barack Obama, then kicking Barack Obama out. I mean, what kind of system is that? So Liz Truss is out on the U.K. Inflation's higher there. She wanted to cut taxes on uh, on the rich. That's Reaganomics. It probably would have worked. Well, the best it can because it fuels people. It fuels, it fuels people that uh, are the most well-to-do, the most successful to maybe uh, launch new businesses, hire new people, uh, mentor more, and, and actually fuel the economy. But she's out. And people are saying Boris Johnson's coming back. I have no idea if that's true. But it also makes me wonder if there's indeed more to know. More to know. All right. Nobody wants to work nine to five anymore. Businesses often think about post-pandemic flexibility as the ability to choose where we work, but being able to choose when we work. Why this matters? Work whenever has allowed many types of workers to boost their productivity, including parents who make around a third of the U.S. workforce. Stunningly, employees with flexible schedules report 29% higher productivity and 53% greater ability to focus more than other set hours. Uh, that, according to some Slack future format, Slack is a, a workplace uh, software. Uh, play, what also matters, not nearly as what uh, place also matters, but not nearly as much as time. Workers who choose where they work were 4% more productive than their fully in-person counterparts. What's your take on that, Allison? What have you noticed in the halls? And Eric, too. In the halls. Well, no, I mean, I think people, I, I will say what I noticed more at home, people do appreciate being able to, like, log in later, right? They can, like, log off at 2.30, go pick up their kids from school, go to practice, do this and that, and then log back on when the kids are in bed to get stuff done. And but here's the negative part. Like, you text somebody, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They've already worked, let's say, 4 in the morning till 2. Mm-hmm. You text them at 4 in the afternoon, next thing you know, they're working again. They want to answer, and then if you don't answer right away because I'm officially off work. Well, I think it really depends on the industry and the style of work, but I know, too, like, some people put real boundaries on it. Like, okay, like, at 2.30, I'm MIA again until 8 p.m., so if you need me in that window, make sure you ask me before or after. Uh, Eric, what do you think? Because you have a lot of people here who work different shifts. Do you know? Well, you people, you have to be in. You can't be at home. Right. But do you notice that it's that people are more productive, that the producers, the hosts? I think it depends on the industry. Having never worked remotely, I can I can see the benefits of cutting out the commute, for example. You save time. You can be more productive. 
Um, but you got to be more disciplined. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, if it were me, you know, I would try to keep the, the same schedule, get dressed in the morning. You know, same thing I would be wearing to work. Right. You know, same routine. See, so you feel like you're at work. I would not be dressed until like two in the afternoon. Like say at a nighttime show, no clothes. Nothing at all. Nothing well, at because all. you wouldn't be on I don't TV get to two, tell yourself. Two outfits dirty. But you also wouldn't be on TV to tell yourself to please get dressed. Thank you. That is my thing. The other thing is, for example, I don't have the setup of the illegal immigrants in Randall's Island. I do not have free laundry service. They fold the laundry and give it back to you. They probably even give them the clothes. Dawn won't fold your laundry? She Actually, she does. <laughs> so I do have pretty good service. Next. Um, wow, what's this? Uh, happy Sports Equinox. Today is the 27th time in history that the big four pro leagues, the NFL, NBA, and NHL, Major League Baseball, all in action at the same time. This is pretty cool. I noticed that last night the Knicks and Nets both played. Uh, I don't know if hockey played. I'm not a big hockey guy. But I know, the, of course, the Yankees were playing. Baseball's in action. Uh, tonight, because Thursday night football. That makes sense. Yeah, they so say it happens is, more because of that. What does that mean? Does, does that affect anybody's lifestyle? I mean, you would think, you know, as a former sports guy, it would affect yours more than anything, right? Right. You to watch more So TV. you have more sports to avoid in <laughs> yes, your case. Exactly. Next, exercise can boost memory. Uh, why that matters? We know that moving our bodies around, it will be help our memory. Uh, between the lines of the study, uh, the, the study who, the author of the study says, different types of exercise affect our bodies distinctly. Think about how long distance runners can strengthen your heart and legs while the bicep curls beef up your arms. They can also affect our brains in different ways. People who just wrapped up a rigorous workout, such as high-intensity interval training, were particularly good at spatial learning, recalling where something was. For example, there are my keys. That's my wallet. Uh, That's my car. That's my suit. Now I forgot. I left it in the car. Uh, Also, uh, people who've done lower-intensity workouts, such as a walk, we're good at naturalistic recall. I remember left my granola bar. <laughs> that's, that, where, that's my old natural moisturizer. The details it's in the of the story and the natural one. But I was that what happened? You had the intervals of pickleball today, and then you might have remembered that you left a suit in the car. Yes, I think that's good. Yeah, <laughs> I, we played pickleball today on Fox and Friends. I have a long way to go. Next, third time's the charm. Kamala Harris has hired her third chief speechwriter of her tenure in the latest staff change. Uh, the VP hired a new political speechwriter, according to Politico. The new head scribe is 38-year-old David Cavell. He previously penned speeches for John Kerry, Barack Obama, as well as Maura Healey and Deval Patrick. She has unnecessary complex speeches. She doesn't roll off the tongue. Someone she'd write for is simple. I'm not saying she's simple. She needs simple. But, Brian, when she speaks, which hopefully she's not reading a speech, she says the same words over and over and over again. You have no proof of that. <laughs> no proof of that at all. You Give Eric no, a second. You have never had proof of that. I'm How sure. dare you? Here's my question. Do you think this speechwriter will last longer than Prime Minister Trust? Yes. Yes. I do think so because no one's going to quit in the last year. Well, this has only been midterms. Oh, I will say this. If this guy quits, who's got the track record, that's a problem. Because she is going to give her most valuable speeches because in about six months, I think Joe Biden will say, I'm not running. At which time it's going to be audition time. And if she's good and strong, some people won't get involved. They'll rally around. But I don't think that's going to happen. Do you think she's really going to be good and strong, even with a good speechwriter? I'm trying to create intrigue and interest with the show. I don't want to be so fatalistic. Uh, Quick announcement. Uh, the President Freedom Fighter comes out on paperback, and I got some good news. Uh, the, the tour is, uh, is coming into shape. If you are on Long Island in Bayshore at Barnes & Noble, I'll be there on the 27th. I'm going to go to Rochester, New York, longtime home of Frederick Douglass on the 29th. 
I'll be in Vestock uh, at Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. On the 14th, I got a, another event, the Patriot Awards. I hope to see everybody there. And then from there, I'm going to Myrtle Beach, WRNN listeners, 99.5. I want to see you there. And, of course, WOKV, December 3rd. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.